0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Die Green is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. We're your hosts, Max Sussman
1: and Kate McCabe.
0: And we founded Bog and Thunder, an Irish food and travel company that features the best of the country's food revolution.
1: We know people have preconceived notions about Irish food.
2: Because of the famine, people, when they think about Ireland, they think about beer, whiskey, and potatoes, right? And that's it. So we're sort of pigeonholed as sort of drunks and potato eaters.
1: We are going to show you that Irish food is so much more than that. Each week, we'll talk to some of the most exciting and unexpected people. Together, we will make you rethink all of your assumptions about food and culture in Ireland.
0: We'll dive into the tastiest and least expected topics like wild salmon smoking, sourdough bread baking, hunger strikes, cookbook publishing, and more. And together, we'll try to answer everyone's burning question
1: What is Irish food?
3: Spring is coming to the northeastern US, and this season HRN is premiering some exciting new shows. You just heard Kate McCabe and Max Sussman, co-founders of the travel company Bog and Thunder, and our hosts on the soon to debut show Dyed Green. This episode of Meet and Three is packed with sneak peeks into our fresh out of the oven podcasts. Anyone who's passionate about food and where it comes from will find something to love. Grab a fork and wet your appetite as we meander through this meal for your mind. I'm Katie Mosman Wadler and this is Meat and 3 on HRN.
0: Meat and 3. Meat and 3. Meat and
2: 3.
3: One meat, three sides.
2: Food, news and storytelling.
3: A square meal for your ears. Meat and 3. On the new specialty food podcast, Spill and Dish, we hear from the people behind the label. Produced in collaboration with the Specialty Food Association, Spill and Dish gets at the heart of what makes specialty food special. Today, we hear Megan Rooney from the SFA interview Laura Sorkin, an organic vegetable farmer turned maple syrup connoisseur.
1: Did you have a food background before launching your company? So after graduating from college, um, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. And I ended up down at culinary school in New York City. And I, I absolutely loved it. And I sort of, I figured I had found my calling. So I went uh, and worked at a couple of restaurants in New York City. And it's a really rough lifestyle. It's, it's really mm-hmm. tough. And so <laughs> I decided that maybe restaurant work wasn't quite right for me and went back to graduate school in environmental management but i think food was was just always calling and so found myself in vermont running an organic vegetable farm and mm-hmm. when we started into the maple syrup you know a lot of our stuff is is very unique and different the infused maple syrups in particular and people would try them and they really they were blown away by them but they're like okay you've got a a lime leaf infused maple syrup. What do I do with this other than pancakes? And so that's my job at the company, which is coming up with um, ways of using all of these unique flavors.
3: Laura and her husband, Eric, have become innovators in the field, creating the maple syrup flavors of your wildest dreams. We're talking coffee, cocoa bean, and merken smoked chili pepper infused maple syrups. Run Amok, their Vermont-based company, has products ranging from unique syrups for your next cocktail to marinades for smoked meats. I know you mentioned that you have
1: lots of different flavors of syrups, and what made you decide to do that type of syrup instead of just, you know, your general maple? Uh, I think because we saw so much potential in it. Um, you know, back when we were trying the different infusions, we we did some very traditional ones like cinnamon vanilla, and, and those are fantastic. And to this day, those are still some of our best sellers. But then we tried other things that hadn't really been done before, like cardamom and the lime leaf and hibiscus. And we found that maple syrup is just really complementary to a lot of different flavors. And it just... It, they can sort of take on the flavor and become a completely different thing. Like the, the hibiscus infused is probably our product that tastes the least amount like maple syrup. But the combination of just those two ingredients, it's something phenomenal. It tastes a lot like a really fresh grenadine or sort of a, a lighter pomegranate syrup. So it's perfect for cocktails. Mm. It's amazing over cheese. It's just got all these great uses. It's very tangy. Uh, it's got like a raspberry flavor to it. And so, you know, we thought, well, if these are interesting, let's just keep going. So that's what we're all about is just innovating and trying different ingredients and seeing where it takes us. What do you want people to know about your brand that they might not already know? Well, certainly quality uh, that we spend a lot of time to get things just right. I think for just our cinnamon vanilla, we tried five different types of cinnamon and three different types of vanilla vanilla. And then, of course, a million different combinations of those two, infusing times, um, portions, ratios. We're very particular about getting the balance of things just right. So um, I guess I would love the public to know just how much work goes into the research for each product.
3: Whether you're looking to build your own specialty food business or love to hear about the craft of specialty products and the stories behind them, Spill and Dish has you covered. Now let's zoom out from One Maple Farm to take a look at the big picture facing farmland across the country. Each episode of the new show, No Farms, No Future, will dive into the challenges and successes America's farmers are facing each day in an effort to preserve our farmland. Across the nation, we're losing farmland at an astonishing rate of 2,000 acres a day. Yet, over the past four decades, American Farmland Trust has been working to protect farmland as a valuable resource for our food and for the fight against climate change. AFT President John Piotti explains the mission of AFT and how we've lost farmland over the past decades.
2: The beauty of farming is that you can both grow food and provide important environmental benefits. So, saving the land is critical short term to make sure we have farms nearby to serve us in time of need, in time of crisis. But, thinking longer term, if we don't have enough farmland, we're not only going to be struggling with a food supply we are not going to have the ability to heal our planet. And our initial focus, one is the protection of agricultural land, saving the land, making sure that it's gonna be around for the future. And the second, making sure that the farming practices are protecting the soil on that land. We had this dual purpose of protecting the land and protecting the soil. We sometimes refer to that as saving farmland by both the acre and the inch.
4: So why is agriculture and conservation, why is that a natural connection?
2: Well, it's a natural connection because without good conservation practices, agriculture can't be sustainable. Farming relies ultimately on a number of things, but one of them is soil health. And the story of our country was one of people coming, planting crops, raising livestock, mining the land, pushing the land beyond its capacity, and then moving on. So conservation practices are critical if we're going to have agriculture sustain itself. But we've been able to ignore that at times because there are other ways to make up for soil fertility. You can make up for soil fertility with synthetic fertilizers, for instance. So there were periods of time in our history where we could ignore that, and we're at a point in time now where we can't. We need the land to grow our food, but we also need it quite desperately to provide a number of critical environmental services.
4: So what's happened here, John? I mean, let's talk about the loss of farmland. What's happened, say, since the 1970s, the 1980s?
2: We have been losing farmland in this country for a long time, and it's complicated. Part of what was happening were market forces that were often driving farms to get larger, there were also a increased use of synthetic fertilizers and chemicals, which vastly increased productivity levels. So you didn't need as much farmland to grow the same amount of food. As a result, by the 1970s and 1980s, an industry that had employed a lot of Americans was becoming an industry that was employing 2-3% of the population. And it meant that farm communities were losing population. It meant that more consumers were unaware of farming and that much more disconnected from agriculture. So I think for a while, people didn't really care that much, and I, I think it has only been recently that there's been an appreciation that that trajectory needed to be turned around.
3: We'll be right back with more Meet and Three after a short break.
0: Are you a business owner? This spring, amplify your business and support HRN's mission by becoming a business member. HRN is dedicated to spotlighting small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. With a $500 business membership, HRN can shine a light on your work and you can help sustain our mission to transform the way people think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You will also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind the Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow the one recipe wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome back to meetin 3. Two years into the pandemic... Everyone has experienced burnout, fatigue, and exhaustion. Mental health is at the top of mind, especially in the restaurant industry. On Shift Work, a new podcast from HRN and the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, you'll hear from leaders in the heart of the restaurant industry who are working to transform hospitality. In episode 2, titled An Industry Mental Health Check-in, host Kiki Luya speaks with two guests, Brother Luck and Mavis J Sanders. First, we hear from Brother Luck, chef and owner of Four, located in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
2: The restaurant industry has been built on this, you know,
0: machoism. You know, we've created this image of the rock star chef and the lifestyle that comes with it and made that cool. And then TV glamorized that and it became the expectation.
3: This culture trickles down through the hierarchies of the restaurant industry. Kiki Loya, who's the executive director of the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, with experience as a chef and operator in the restaurant industry, speaks more with Mavis J. Sanders, director of culinary development and education at Drive Change, about this issue.
4: There's a lot of conversation lately about, um, you know, is what does it mean to be a chef, right? And Um, I think chefs often, it's like people associate the food and especially if you have a good experience, right? It all goes back to the chef. But what ends up happening is that the people who support that work, right? Who are the ones who are peeling potatoes, who are the ones who are doing the dishes, who are the ones who are making the restaurant work, get kind of like pushed into the shadows.
5: It's about their individual ego, like longevity. Like it's all selfish, Right. It's it's so selfish. It's not about the diners. I don't even know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's necessarily like about like I don't know, like the people that they are around are like I, I can't even imagine you thinking about somebody else and saying that like you are only about you and you are willing to sacrifice anyone else or anything else in order to make sure that you and your establishment can continue because you see people as replaceable. This
3: affects the emotional and mental well-being of workers and has financial repercussions. Servers and line workers are seen as people working in the shadows. However,
4: a lot of things would not get done without these extras. They care more about profit than people. And they've, they've essentially shown you that you are as good as the production that you can do for them. They're not considering you as an individual, your own safety, the safety of others, the safety of their diners for that matter.
5: People have been like, oh, I'm going to now pay somebody $25 an hour. Yeah, but if you're like none of your practices has changed, like that's not helping anybody, right? Like, yes, there are pieces of ourselves that we have all like compromised and sold off like for the right price in hopes to get somewhere else. But like $25 an hour ain't going to be it.
3: Many restaurant workers were laid off during the height of the pandemic. In many cases, they returned to work in risky conditions without pay raises.
5: Our industry is still in the middle of a reckoning, and that's why restaurants are still closing left and right, because restaurants are supposed to be food centers. They're supposed to be pillars of community. And when you take that and you sell that community in order for it to be all about profit, then you're going to fail
4: eventually. Actually, and I'd love to ask you that, like, what has changed, like, you know, since 2020?
5: Actually, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel a little disappointed in some... Some sectors of our industry, because when you're a leader in the industry, like you should really you have the opportunity to be out front and like make real change. And there haven't been enough, um, like highly recognized leaders that have stepped up and done something different.
3: The restaurant industry needs an influx of determined and compassionate leaders who are willing to pave the way for change. Hear from some of these changemakers about how they see the future of hospitality on shift work. In addition to covering mental health, the podcast tackles racial injustice, discusses entrepreneurship pathways for immigrants, and looks at avenues to support parents in the industry. We are stepping back from the insider's perspective now to take a look at the industry through the lens of food studies, a field critically examining food and its contexts. Experts in food studies join restaurant workers on Gastronomica, HRN's podcast collaboration with the academic journal of the same name, to serve you the latest food for thought. In episode three of the series, Dr. Carol Cunahan, whose research focuses on food, culture, gender, and identity in the United States and Italy, was invited to discuss whether the language of a menu could help advance slow food's goals of good, clean, and fair food and promoting food democracy. To do so, she used the example of one menu at the 2009 Slow Food National Chapter Assembly against the backdrop of the movement in Italy.
6: The menu itself was, as I said, extremely richly described. And what I was curious about, given the relationship between language and culture, as well as between language and thought, was how perhaps the slow food organizers were either sort of consciously or unconsciously working to shape how people think about food by providing a language in in which and through which to think about that food. And so what I noticed when I started to look at this menu is all of the references to, for example, locality. So you have, for very first course, you have an evocation of local food, regional food, um, particular specialties of the area. There's also in the menu not just an evocation of locality, but there's also a, an evocation of hunger. And that shows up in the second course, which is the cuisine of hunger, la cucina de la fame. Each course had both a sort of descriptive heading and then a description of the actual dish. So the second course is cuisine of hunger, return of the repressed. It's like we are reminding you that hunger was once dominant and that there were all these foods to satisfy hunger. And we have repressed those memories, but now we're going to remind you of them. It's a reminder of how culture has changed um, and how fundamental aspects of traditional foods have evolved and are still to be remembered. Dr. Cunahan also pointed out what was left out. The menu kind of purposely focuses on foods indigenous to the Mediterranean region. And, and there's no mention of, of those foods from the Colombian exchange, like tomatoes, beans, potatoes, mm-hmm. that, are, that are very much part of Italian food today, that are considered part of Italian cuisine. But there's also no uh, more modern introduced foods which are nonetheless increasingly prevalent in Italy, for example, through kebab shops, through Indian restaurants, Mm -hmm. through Mexican restaurants. Um, And I think it's it's a tension and a conundrum for slow food to think about how to be open to diverse peoples and diverse foods while at the same time supporting local food and local tradition. For more deep dives
3: into food scholarship and in-depth interviews with food studies experts, tune in to Gastronomica from the link in our show notes. You'll also find links to all the premieres we mentioned today in the notes and at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks this week to Anna Kenney, Autumn Jemison, Alex Tran, and Sophie Talcove burko Meet 3 is produced by Matt Patterson, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meatin3.nyc. That's all spelled out.